you need to understand that a primary way God intends to care for you is through the righteous. So don't be hesitant. Don't be resistant to accept the compassion of fellow Christians. Don't be too proud. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. How can you be the hands and feet of God to help care for His people? Are there individuals in your life right now who might need the love of Jesus? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part 10 of his series titled, Ruth. We're looking at the remarkable work of God as displayed in the Old Testament book of Ruth. Today, you'll be reminded that when you pray for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ, God may use you to be the answer to those prayers. You have the responsibility to care for those in need, just like Boaz did. Do you own that responsibility? Are you looking for opportunities to be faithful in all the circumstances God has placed you? Keep those questions in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Having spoken to the supervisor, having learned who she is, she's there in the temporary shelter, having just taken a break. When he arrives, he learns who she is, and he goes over to speak to her. He said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. The fact that Boaz referred to her as his daughter once again highlights the age difference between them. That is exactly, by the way, how Naomi referred to Ruth as well which may mean that Naomi and Boaz are actually of similar age. It also highlights Boaz's care for her and the sense of responsibility that he feels for her. I think there's a great deal of irony in the fact that both the romantic story of Boaz and Ruth, as well as the famous friendship between David and Jonathan, illustrate that relationships don't have to be based on similar ages. David and Jonathan were likely 30 years apart in age. And here, Boaz and Ruth may have been 20-plus years apart as well. Even though she's an outsider, a Moabitess, notice Boaz, when he says, my daughter, he's promising to treat her like a loving father. Notice what he urges her. Verse 8, do not go to glean in another field. Stay here, stay in my field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here, notice, with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. He insisted that for her safety, she not only stay in his field, but she remain with his female servants. As I said, likely the male servants cut the grain and the the female ones came behind, gathered and bundled it. And so he says, stay with my mates. But really a better translation of that is attach yourself to my mates or stick with my mates. It's the same word used earlier in the book when it says Ruth kept clinging to Naomi. Cling to my mates for your safety. And then notice he assured her that she didn't need to fear anything from the male workers in the field. He had warned them. Notice, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. 
In other words, not to harass you, not to mistreat you, not to take advantage of you. But it goes on. Verse 9, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Boaz here insists that Ruth drink from the water that his servants had drawn, his servants had brought out that morning from the well from Bethlehem for his workers. This is extraordinary kindness. In that culture, usually women drew water for men and foreigners drew water for Israelites. But Boaz says, I want you to drink of this water Think about what it would have cost her in time to have returned to the city of Bethlehem every time she needed to drink. He says, I want you to drink the water. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth is literally overwhelmed by Boaz's generosity. And in a cultural show of respect and humility and gratitude, she literally prostrates herself before him. It was an external position of respect towards someone who was both older and more influential. What overwhelmed her, notice in what she says in verse 10, what overwhelmed her was that Boaz was unaffected by the fact that she was a foreigner, specifically a Moabite. Her question is, why? It's because Boaz had heard all about her already. Verse 11, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. He'd heard the whole story. He didn't never seen her, didn't recognize her when he saw her that morning on the field, but once his supervisor made the connection, it all came back. He had heard her story. He knew what had happened. No doubt Boaz had heard that Naomi had freed both Ruth and Orpah from any legal or moral obligation to her after the death of her sons, and that Orpah had reasonably returned home to her family, to her nation, to her God. But Ruth's response, Ruth's response defied all explanation. Verse 11, how you left, literally how you abandoned your father and your mother, Clearly, her parents were still living. By the way, this expression, how you left your father and mother, this expression occurs only one other place in the Old Testament, and that's in Genesis 2.24 when it's the prescription for marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother. This is what she did. And he goes on to say, you left the land of your birth and you came to a people that you did not previously know. She had previously had no experience with or interaction with Israelites apart from the family in Moab. But in verse 12, Boaz gets to what impressed him most about Ruth, and it was her spiritual transformation. Notice what he says. May Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel. Boaz here offers a a kind of prayer for Ruth that Yahweh would reward her hard work, that he would do so generously. Now, why would he ask the God of Israel 
to do this for a woman who'd been an idolater. He says, here's why. Because under his wings, you have come to seek refuge. Like a baby bird, you have come to find shelter under the God of Israel. You believed in him. Ruth had voluntarily placed herself in submission to and under the care of Yahweh. Undoubtedly, Boaz was thinking back to the day when, as Daniel Block puts it, Ruth had transferred her allegiance from Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, to Yahweh, the god of Israel. Ruth's key commitment was not to Naomi, but to Yahweh. That's what you need to get. That's the point he's making. She was committed to Naomi. She would care for Naomi. But her real commitment was to Israel's God. Now, that's the chief reason that Boaz was being so generous to Ruth. But there were other reasons as well. I think he treated her this way because he was a righteous, compassionate man. And righteous, compassionate people do this when they run into people in need. As a regenerate believer whose heart God had changed, he naturally loved and was kind toward others. And as a relative of hers, which he knew at this point, but she did not yet know, he felt a sense of responsibility toward her. And I think we also have to say that his response and kindness toward her was a direct response to Ruth's wish. Look back in Ruth. 2 verse 2. Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. It wasn't even really a prayer. It was more like a wish. But God heard and he responded. We have to say that God had prepared Boaz's heart to express generosity to this woman. It was God's way of caring for one of his own. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. That sounds a little strange to our ears, but it's really nothing more than an expression of thanks. We could translate it something like this, you are so kind, or you have been so gracious to me. She goes on to say, here's why, for you have comforted me. This had to have been the first encouraging thing in her life since her husband died, since she left the land of her birth, since she'd arrived in this land where she knew no one. You have comforted me. And indeed, you have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Literally, that spoken kindly literally translated from the Hebrew, is you have spoken to my heart. In other words, you've spoken sympathetically. You've spoken compassionately. I'm struck by why Ruth was amazed. Look back in verse 10. There she was amazed at Boaz's kindness in light of her race. She was a foreigner, a Moabite. In verse 13, she's amazed at his kindness in light of her low class. Notice how she put it. She says, maidservant. The Hebrew word that she uses for maidservant describes a female servant of the very lowest rank. But notice, Ruth doesn't even put herself at that level. 
She places herself even lower. I am not even on the level of your maidservants. I am beneath them, and yet you show me kindness. You just see the genuine humility of this woman. Now, there's a break in time at the end of verse 13. Verse 13, as I've noted, occurred late morning when Boaz arrived at the field and this conversation has taken place. Verse 14, however, fast-forwards an hour or two to the noon mealtime. And what Boaz Boaz does then is truly extraordinary. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, come here. In the ancient Middle East, sharing a meal together held great significance. It's testimony, I think, to Boaz and his humility that he himself was having a meal with the harvesters, with the workers. But in addition to that, he invites Ruth, a foreigner and a Moabite, to join him and his workers for their meal And notice he also invites her to share the food that he had had prepared and brought for the harvesters. Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. This vinegar likely was a mix of olive oil and a sort of balsamic vinegar. If you've been to your favorite Italian restaurant, you've had that. 3,000 years ago, they were doing the same thing. Boaz's invitation to Ruth to join them for the meal had surprised his workers, even though they knew he was a gracious and generous man. But what he does next shocked them, I can promise you. Verse 14 says, So she sat beside the reapers, and he, that is Boaz, a man of importance, a man of wealth, a man of nobility, the man who owns the field, served her roasted grain. The Hebrew word implies that after Ruth had been seated with the harvesters, with his own hand, Boaz served her roasted grain. In addition to the the bread and the vinegar that had been prepared, they would roast fresh heads of grain that they had just gathered over an open fire in a pan with some oil, and, and that was a staple of the diet. They offered it to her. He offered it to her. Verse 14, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Here's another glimpse of Boaz's generous nature. He not only gave her food to eat, but he made sure that she was completely satiated. She was fully satisfied. And then no doubt, suspecting what was true, that she and Naomi had not enough to eat, he made sure that she had food left over, knowing that she would, as she did, take some to her mother-in-law. What I want you to understand is at this point, there is no expectation on either Ruth's part or Boaz's part. There is no hint of anything romantic. Daniel Block writes, Boaz took an ordinary occasion and transformed it into a glorious demonstration of compassion, generosity, and acceptance. Boaz was simply a good man sent by God to show favor to this woman. The wings of God are not only comforting to Israelites, 
They offer protection even for despised Moabites. After lunch was over, Boaz gives further instructions. And rather than giving the instructions through the foreman, notice he gives these instructions directly to the workers. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, so the meal's over, she's had enough, she has food left over, she now goes back out to the field. Boaz commanded his servants, he speaks to all of them, just to make sure they get the message. This matters to me. Let her glean among the sheaves and do not insult her. What Boaz is doing here is granting her special permission, different than the other gleaners. She doesn't have to wait until the harvesters are done and have, and have left the area. She can glean among the sheaves before they're gathered up. And the workers were to do nothing to insult her, to humiliate her, to shame her. And you knew, and you know that very well could happen. She was a foreigner and a poor foreigner who was having to scavenge pieces of wheat off a harvested field. And he says, you better not mess with her in any way. Not only that, verse 16, also you shall purposefully pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. As the harvesters cut and the women bundled the wheat, they were in to intentionally pull out some of that wheat and sort of leave these little piles there to make it easier for her. Leave them lying on the field. And when she picked them up, they weren't to rebuke her for doing so. What, a, what an amazing man. What an amazing story. But again, I want to remind you that Boaz is not the hero of the story. God is. This is a story about God caring for his own. So what are the lessons for us from this wonderful act? Well, the first lesson is God always cares for his own. If you have sought refuge in God, if you have, to use this beautiful image in verse 12 of chapter 2, sought refuge under his wings, he has assumed full and complete responsibility to care for you. That doesn't mean you won't go through lean times. Obviously, Ruth and Naomi did. But it means in the scope of your life, God will make sure you are cared for. I love what David said. My dad who had 10 children. I'm the youngest of 10 children. My dad often said this to us. He would quote David's words. I was young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God cares for his own. But that's not the primary point of this passage. I think the primary point is this. One of the main ways that God cares for his own is through the obedience and compassion of the righteous. You see this message again and again in Scripture. Our compassion for others, Matthew 25, 40. You remember at the, the judgment of the nations there, at the, at the end of the tribulation period, the king will answer and say to some, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When we care for our brothers, we, it's like we're doing it for Christ. And, and this is our heart. This is what we do. 
Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. Devoted to prayer. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Galatians 6.10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those who were of the household of the faith. Hebrews 6.10 says, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. How? How have you shown love toward God? In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And of course, 1 John makes this point again and again. Turn there with me just for a moment. 1 John, and look at verse, uh, or chapter 3. 1 John 3. And notice verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Verse 17, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. True believers love their brothers and sisters in Christ and care for their needs. Chapter 4, verse 20, if, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And how do we manifest that love? Not merely with word. Back in verse uh, 17 of chapter 3, verse 18 rather, but rather with deed. You have the world's goods and you, you serve them. You see, you and I have the responsibility, both in obedience to God's Word and because of the compassion and mercy that God has produced within our hearts, to care for those in need. Do you own that responsibility? Boaz got it. He saw it. Do you see it? How can you be the hands and feet of God to help care for His people? Well, first, establish relationships with the people in this church. Establish relationships. And then when you hear of needs in their lives, move to meet those needs on behalf of Christ. Visit the sick. Care for our shut-ins. Make food for those who are in crisis, either because of a death in the family or, or because of sickness or surgery. Give regularly to our benevolence fund, out of which we serve the families in our church. God cares for his people through the righteous, just as he did with Boaz. You need to own that responsibility. But let me put it the other way. What if you find yourself in need, or you find yourself in the middle of a crisis? You need to understand that a primary way God intends to care for you is through the righteous. So don't be hesitant. Don't be resistant to accept the compassion of fellow Christians. Don't be too proud. When you do that, you miss the blessing of God's caring for you through them, and they miss the blessing of ministering to you on behalf of Christ. 
by all means, pray for the needs of your fellow Christians. But as Boaz himself became the Lord's answer to his prayer, when we pray for the needs of our brothers and sisters, understand this, God may very well use us to be the answer to those prayers. John 13, 35, Jesus puts it this way. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of his series, Ruth. Tom will bring you part 11 next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.